This is Here Arizona, addressing issues, empowering our community. In the spring of 2020, life as we know it was upended for most of the world. Millions are sick, hundreds of thousands are dead, and the global economy is at a near standstill. Everyone is adapting to a new state of being. The most important thing is to wash your hands as frequently as possible. Drug called chloroquine. When new restrictions go into place, this is a life and death decision. Please join us and give our best odds to our first responders and our healthcare system. Is to implement enhanced physical distancing measures. I think you can really have it both ways. I think a lot of people want to go back. They just want to go back. You see it every day. You see demonstrations all over the country. Moments ago, I signed an executive order directing Arizonans to stay home, stay healthy, and stay connected. I think the people should be able to choose. We can't shut the entire country down and the entire world down for every year when there's a flu. This pandemic, like other disasters, has changed how we do just about everything, including this podcast. To follow CDC guidelines, the KJZZ and Here Arizona teams have been working almost entirely remotely. We've replaced almost all of our field reporting with phone interviews. Not something we usually do for a podcast, but these are crazy times. Past episodes of Unsheltered have focused on some of the barriers that people experiencing homelessness in Arizona face as they try to escape their living situations. Given the circumstances we're all facing, some would call disastrous circumstances, we thought it was appropriate to focus on how those who are experiencing homelessness are affected by disasters. Even though we're told we're all in this together, if you're homeless, you're not. Each April, the Phoenix Rescue Mission holds an Easter event for Arizona's working poor, people who aren't necessarily homeless, but who likely are a few missed paychecks away from being homeless. We, every year, we have an Easter event. Uh, It's usually just time for people to get together, have a fun outing. Um, We work in communities where options like this can sometimes be limited, so we want to provide that as much as possible. Nathan Smith is the director of street outreach for the Phoenix Rescue Mission. We work with people who are experiencing homelessness, hunger, addiction, or trauma. Uh, and we have a number of programs, long-term addiction recovery programs, anywhere from two months to 12 to 24 months, uh, where people come and live on our campuses. We've got that for men and for women and mothers with their children. But for obvious reasons, their 2020 Easter event was different. Their families were in more precarious situations. Many of them who had stability were losing it, and fast. This year, food was the priority, and Easter baskets were something extra for kids whose lives may be changing faster than they could understand. Some people are calling this pandemic a natural disaster. After all, it's a force of nature that people have limited control over. It's upended lives. It's changed the way we operate. It's affected everybody, right? In general, when we think of disasters, the ones that we tend to pay most attention to are ones that cause visible effects. That's Liza Kurtz, a Ph.D. candidate at Arizona State University. She studies disaster sociology, or how human societies interact with disaster. You might almost think of uh, the before and after pictures that the media uses. After a hurricane or a flood, you see, you know, 
a beautiful neighborhood and then it's leveled, it's devastated, something like that. But if you did a before and after picture for COVID, you would really see sort of the same suburb with not very many differences at all. The pandemic hasn't affected everybody equally, as much as businesses and political leaders want to say it has. And so we often think about disasters in terms of physical effects on the built environment. And then we we think about them also in terms of lost livelihood, lost housing. Uh, Statistics you hear that are very common is how many people are displaced by disaster. So how many people lost their homes, that sort of thing. And all of that is working on the assumption that you have steady employment, that you have a home, that you have property to be damaged. And all those things, how we measure and think about disaster, tend to leave out marginalized people in society, including those experiencing homelessness. What she means is this. When we talk about natural disasters, we tend to describe them in terms of lives lost, then in property and economic damage. When the government announces disaster relief... It plans for replacing buildings and helping out businesses. The homeless are generally an afterthought. Unfortunately, people experiencing homelessness and transient populations are very difficult to count and keep track of. And I don't mean that in a surveillance way. I mean that in a very basic, we often don't know exactly how disasters are affecting them because one of the primary ways that we might gather data on disaster is going door to door or sending mail, inviting someone to take a survey, something like that, or asking folks, um, like including something with a utility bill that says, you know, did you, you, did you lose X amount of money, et cetera. And unfortunately, most of our data gathering methods miss transient and homeless populations entirely or mostly. And so because of that, we, we have trouble tracking exactly how any disaster in particular affects homeless populations. Certainly we know that disasters can divert resources away Here's an example of how disaster resources subtly exclude the homeless and extremely poor. Remember the $1,200 stimulus checks most Americans received? Those will disproportionately exclude those experiencing homelessness. Even those who work, says Phoenix Rescue Mission's Nathan Smith. We, we run a, like a day labor slash case management program in the city of Glendale. We call, it's called Glendale Works, and we pay people $12 an hour to work fives and we'll pay them $60 in cash at the end of each day. We do basic like cleanup projects and parks and things of that nature. When disaster benefits are tied to income taxes, only those who make enough money to file taxes ever see them. We just finished our first year when tax season came around. There was no one trying to file taxes. They're extremely disproportionately affected because that stimulus check for one oftentimes isn't going to, if they did file taxes, unlikely, but if they did, not going to just deposit into their direct deposit, so then it's a check that's going to get mailed, but mailed where to because they don't have an address, even though they may be the kinds of people that $1,200 should go to, they're not going to get it. And for the select few homeless who did file taxes, they probably still don't have a bank account for direct deposit. But for about 5,000 homeless individuals near downtown Phoenix, they do have access to a mailbox if necessary, as Amy Schwabenlender explains. We're authorized by the USPS, U.S. Postal Service, to be a mail center. We don't sell things or do transactions with money. People can use our address, though, to receive mail. And when we walk by this building, you'll see the window where people can pick it up. And about 5,000 people a year use this address to receive their mail. Fortunately, these stimulus checks are no longer tied to income taxes. Those who filed taxes will get them automatically. But those who didn't file taxes can log into a website and request one. But even that requires internet access, 
which, given that public libraries are closed, is its own challenge. During a disaster, especially one that destroys homes, shelter becomes a priority in relief efforts. We all remember the FEMA trailers after Hurricane Katrina. And in the current disaster, shelter is even more important, since it allows people to isolate and keep a safe physical distance. At the Human Services campus, they're adapting as best they can. This current situation is showing a lot about the lack of capacity in our healthcare system and our public healthcare system. We have outdoor spaces that we can create isolation tents for people as they're needed. Um, we don't have those sleeping bags and tents on hand, and I expect that list will continue to change as we keep reestablishing our process and how we operate here. Um, we're working with the county to receive some hand washing stations, so we expect to need supplies like the liquid hand soap and paper towels and more trash bags because we'll have to maintain things we haven't had to maintain. A lot of places have stopped accepting people or they're accepting less people. Um, and so, and then on top of that, going to a shelter doesn't, doesn't necessarily guarantee you safety in COVID season, especially because there's a lot of other people there. So I know that even in those shelters and stuff, they're trying to do a lot for sanitization um, creating some level of social distancing in their spaces. Um, but for one, there's not enough shelter units for people. So the, so Maricopa County is also trying to get um, hotels to open up their units to put homeless people in them. That's an initiative that the county is doing right now as well. Um, just because, especially in a hurricane, people would need to be seeking shelter. Was there any plan to address how the homeless would be taken care of in a disaster? According to Kurtz, not likely. In a disaster response system that works, 95% of the work happens well before any disaster hits. But that's very, very difficult to do because unless a crisis is happening, it's rare for people to think of disaster and it's rare for it to seem like a pressing issue. So we, we tend in this country to do this sort of like scramble to catch up thing where something happens and we realize how remiss we've been and suddenly there is a massive response where we're scrambling to catch up to where we should have been already. Another side effect of disasters is economic downturn. Experts are predicting the next recession in the coming months. A common phrase for economic growth is all boats rise. That is, in a good economy, everybody does better. In the post-COVID economy, though, it might not look like that. The wealthiest are able to continue making money. They're either still able to work, collect rent, or make money through their businesses. People who are hanging on by a thread might end up homeless. Since so many Americans are only a paycheck or two away from being on the street, it stands to reason that COVID-19-related job losses and the recession will increase the number of people experiencing homelessness. The middle class probably won't end up homeless, but they might not be able to donate to charity as much, or tithe as much in their churches, or spend time volunteering in homeless outreach services. One group is already starting to notice this trend. Krista Cardona works with the House of Refuge in Mesa. Well, I think so many of us are kind of unsure, you know, what the future holds in terms of, of what's going to happen, whether it's going to be a recession, or I guess we technically are in a recession, or fundraising may be a challenge. There isn't a lot on the store shelves right now. We are 
coming up with creative ways to fill our food bank, you know, asking for the donation of gift cards so that we can go out and do the shopping when we know that there's food readily available on the shelves at the stores. It's it's going to be challenging, there's no doubt. Um, and the fact that, you know, we, we are currently supplying um, breakfast and lunch and snack to children, re- children right now at a time where we typically wouldn't be doing that um, is putting added strains on a budget and not having kind of the, the, the major food donation drives coming into the donation center um, is challenging. COVID is not the first disaster we've endured, but it is the first one to affect large swaths of the country all at once. It's the first one that's truly brought a light upon economic injustice nationwide. In an ideal situation, I would like to see us move towards a more sustained and paced model of disaster response where much of the work or more of the work is being done in advance. And that, again, goes back to that idea of building equitable communities that work for everyone on the everyday. And that goes, that alone, um, not uh, reducing poverty, reducing homelessness, those things seem potentially disconnected, but are actually some of the best steps we could take towards disaster preparedness. Um, And they have to happen in advance. You can't do that while the event is happening. Stable housing and health care during the good times makes people less likely to suffer during the bad times. People who have resources and are able to live stable and fulfilled lives tend to be much more capable of responding to disasters on their own. So if you have stable housing, if you have stable job, if you have savings, the chances that you are going to need emergency intervention during a disaster are greatly reduced because you have those resources. Even more importantly, maybe, if you have stable, a stable quality of life and high quality of life, you are not just able to help yourself, you're able to help other people. You're able to reach out and help family members and help your neighbors and help your friends. And so you become a stable hub for other people who may be experiencing instability because you can share resources. And that sort of community networking and often is the first line of defense. What I would love to see is for in our government to learn from this to anticipate crises of different kinds in the future. Perhaps there will be pandemics like this. A drought is likely at some point, and I mean, just considering our climate, that's a possibility. Um, And floods happen here because we just don't have the infrastructure for a lot of rain. So when it comes through, you know, we get flooded. So there are these kinds of disasters that happen and smarter people than me could anticipate others that could. Um, And how do we then prepare ourselves to take services to people who are not going to be able to easily come to them, right? And I think if we were proactive about saying, hey, there's people out there who aren't going to be able to access government money, how can we get maybe tax professionals in there to help people get their hands on the $1,200 that they may need? Um, How can we create more health care for the homeless services that maybe could be mobilized in kind of an instant or in short order because we don't need them all the time, but that could take services that could be more mobile rather than just brick and mortar and receiving people coming to them. And so I think for me, I would love to see some infrastructure, some thought that goes into getting services out to people who need them rather than just waiting for people to come to us. You just listened to Unsheltered from Here, Arizona, 
That's H-E-A-R, Arizona. This podcast is made possible by support from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. Since we're a relatively new show, please tell all your friends to check us out. They can search for Here Arizona on their favorite podcast listening app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify. And since we're all about empowering our community, we want you to be part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. In this episode, you heard from the Phoenix Rescue Mission, the Human Services Campus, and the House of Refuge in Mesa. For more information about those organizations and other Arizona nonprofits that work on the issue of homelessness, head over to our resource page at hearearizona.org. Here Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds, Spot 127, Soundbite, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was reported, written, and produced by me, Scott Bork. Linda Pastore is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Scott Bork from Here Arizona Podcasts. Since you're still listening, you're obviously a fan of ours. We want to hear more from you. Visit hearearizona.org and take our listener survey. That's H-E-A-R-Arizona.org. Thanks for listening.